0: go The podcast platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert Today Formulating Outrage The Language of Political Struggle with Mimi TNUN Hello everyone. Today my guest is uh, Mimi T. uh who uh, some of you might remember in a previous uh, podcast on Archipelago, she was uh, on the very first one that got published and uh, I'm very happy to have her here again. She's uh, she's associate professor uh, in uh, the Gender and, and Women's Studies uh, at University of Illinois uh, in Champaign. As well as a professor in Asian American Studies, and she's also the the, the co-chair of uh, associate, uh, chair. associate chair. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's uh, okay. As the associate chair of the Women and Gender Studies at the department. Uh, hello, Mimi again. Hi. <laughs> uh, well, first off, I I think people who have not listened to our first conversation should should really listen to it because I think it was great. That was that after even after like. 50 or so it remains one of my favorites so I highly recommend Aww. it <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> uh, and uh, the first time we were in New York that time we are in Chicago and uh, it ought to be noted for uh, uh, architects and architectural uh, uh, interested people that we are recording this conversation in the Liz Van Dero library library uh, of the in Illinois Institute of Technology. Uh, uh, so today uh, we are going to talk about um, true problems, I would say. <laughs> uh, 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 problems that um, problems that don't seem that don't necessarily appear as problem at a first glance, but that very much uh, participate to that uh, that against we are trying to. To struggle uh, and um, and it's it's very much a critique of our own of our own positions as intellectuals and uh, uh, with in, a, in our political struggles. So we're going to try to be very uh, 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 didactic and articulate about it. Uh, uh, I mean, at least I have no doubt that you will. I'll try to, <laughs> too. Uh, but maybe just to start the conversation in a in our, uh, with a with a little update from last year, uh, could you could you tell us? Uh, I mean, la- to to remind people, last year you were telling us that you were working on uh, uh, a project called the the Promise of Beauty, mm-hmm. uh, the and um, and I think that since then you've been uh, giving a few lectures uh, about it. So could you maybe uh, give us a little of that?
1: Yeah. Um, so the Promise of Beauty is sort of. Uh, is is related to the first project, um, the first book project, was which was called the Gift of Freedom. So, uh, I'm I'm always really interested in those things that are supposed to be transparently um, social goods uh, that we should all want, like freedom or beauty or truth or any of those or virtue. Um, and so, I'm always interested in how those things that we are that, that seem transparently uh, uh, to be good uh, social goods, um, how um, they are also the premises for practices um, and actions of, of control and interference. Um, so the first project, which was on the gift of freedom, was looking at how the gift of freedom informs um uh, liberal empire and the uh, and liberal war and how um, uh, the gift of freedom isn't just uh, sort of a rhetorical ploy that sounds pretty um, uh, that hides the violence of liberal uh, war and empire, but it's actually how liberal war and empire uh, conceptualize its its violence and its power. Um, so the premise of beauty kind of follows from that uh, project. Um, uh, because uh, one of the things I I, I found while I was working on the first book was um, uh, I I wrote in the second chapter about uh, the little girl who got burned by napalm, and um, uh, the, from the uh, whose uh, photograph, of course, is uh, uh, you know deemed iconic in the sort of archive of, of the Vietnam War, um, and I wrote about her and how a part of um, a part of her story, a part of her biography that gets retold over and over again is how, um, uh, how, her, how, how she deals with her, her physical scars and how she uh, has this deep desire for beauty. As a result of the scars, right? That she feels like th- that that somehow she she uh, has been denied access to beauty, and in being denied access to beauty, she's been denied access to all these other wonderful things, right? Like um, love and sociality, and and that uh, that she that she can't have. And so then she starts to in the sort of biographical narratives about her, she actually attaches beauty. The, the promise of beauty to things like uh, a good life and true love and a, and a certain kind of political project which turns out to, of, to of course, be like, you know, um, uh, Western democracy, right, because she ends up um, um, in Canada. Um, yeah, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 fleeing uh, and uh, asking for asylum in Canada. Um, so that started, that and some other things started me thinking about like, you um, Uh, The particular way in which uh, um, this kind of uh, an idea of a promise of beauty uh, uh, might operate as um, uh, a sort of diagnosis of the conditions under which beauty is imagined to thrive um, and the conditions under which beauty is imagined to, um, or is threatened, right? Um, And how that kind of, uh, the how how the idea of beauty as a diagnosis of these things, um, um, uh, then, beco- uh, uh, then becomes then um, becomes mobilized as a as a as a as a crisis moment as an entry point into history. Like, what are we going to do um, about this uh, this beautiful thing that that is being endangered or that is vulnerable right now? How can we preserve it? Right? Um, and so, what are the which, which seems very obvious, right? It seems like, uh, of course, we we'll want to preserve beautiful things, but of course, uh, the idea that we necessarily uh, automatically want to preserve beautiful things, which seems very like a very transparent desire, actually involves all kinds of, you know, uh, structural um, um, actions, um, consequences, um uh, evaluations about what conditions are uh, imagined to be best for the beautiful object, the beautiful person to thrive under, right? So, so it's I'm <laughs> still working it out, mm-hmm. but um, uh, but I but I'm interested in how that kind of idea, of the promise of beauty as as the promise of life being furthered, uh, which is uh, to borrow from um, Kant on on be- on the beautiful, how that then might feed into certain kind of biopolitical projects that, Im- that of course, are concerned with the, um, with the management of life. Mm-hmm. So so I'm looking at a bunch of different objects. And mm-hmm. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it certainly
0: makes sense. And uh, even better than that, it offers a, a great introduction yes. for our conversation today because I, th- I think what you were saying about freedom and, and beauty being uh, sort of undeniable val- uh, 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 virtues um, is very much what we going to address today in the fact that sometimes we take time to dismantle their, um, the discourses or the actions of, of that against what we are uh, struggling. But in this conversation, we're going to try to be a little bit closer from ourselves and to see how when we are uh, people that are part of the same uh, struggle, so to speak, are uh, um, legitimizing against their will, but uh, actively that, that against what they're thinking, we're thinking, to fight. Uh, maybe to give a little bit of, of background on why I wanted this conversation to happen, uh, um, it, went back to, it went back to last April, in, so in 2014, when um uh, when the group the nigerian group uh, boko haram uh, based in the northeast of, of the country uh, kidnapped 276 young women and uh and uh, claimed uh, the kidnapping in um, th- saying that they will enslave those women and, and force marry them and which uh, which is not very much what we're going to talk about, but rather the, the campaign that followed that, whether on social media or uh, in in uh, more uh, traditional media. Uh, this campaign called "Bring Back Our Girls" uh, started on Twitter, but that that really went beyond that. And um, we even saw we even saw uh, uh, people in the Cannes Festival having their little signs saying "Bring Back Our Girls," doing big smiles. Uh, with this uh, with those signs for the photograph and uh, I, I'm pretty sure I was not the only one to feel extremely uncomfortable uh, in front of this campaign but without really being able to articulate a critic for it and, and I immediately <laughs> thought that you would be the perfect interlocutor to formulate this critic so uh, here we are in July 2014 it took, uh, took a few months but <laughs> we, we made it so I uh, I, I would very much like to use this uh, this first example as a as an entry point for a conversation, and we'll 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 go through other examples. And I mean, what I was describing about the Cannes Festival is pretty obvious uh, uh, as a as a problem. But there were even more subtle forms. So could you could you maybe help me with that?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean. And, and and I did see this critique circulating so I'm just sort of like you know um, articulating a critique that uh, is is informed by postcolonial feminist you know um, um, theories um, uh, but uh, you know definitely around the bring back our girls campaign we saw um, a variety of, of um, seemingly, transparent uh um values being circulated right that you know these young girl, like the idea of the young girl the idea of their innocence the idea of their being um um of their of their futures being um you know violently uh um Directed in away from you know their education. I mean, the fact that they were schoolgirls was a was a big part of it, right? Um, uh, uh, a part of the uh, the sort of re- rhetorical um, aspects of the campaign. Um, so there are all these like very transparent, like transparently good, uh, va- uh, 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 or transparent values about what was good. Um, and what was bad that were being circulated. Um, and which made it, of course, very easy for the campaign to pick up a lot of speed, right? Because these things seem like, you know, as I, you know, argue, how like the, there are these uh, seemingly transparent categories of the good that should function in a particular way that were being circulated. Um, and then the example of the girls being kidnapped was, was seemingly transparently. Um, uh, bad because of, of the circulation of these things that were seen transparently good. So, like, again, like the schoolgirl, her youth, her innocence, her education were all being um, invoked in, in those campaigns. But, of course, as you, I think, also pointed out in something you wrote about it, did you write about that? Oh, I thought I, you did. I did not. It. But, but, um, but Precisely I think because
0: I was not able to uh, to articulate a very uh, uh, sharp critique mm-hmm. of it, where uh-huh. so I was I was waiting for this conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but then, uh, but then again, those are those are those are tropes that have have long imperial and colonial histories, right? So that when like Western empires have gone elsewhere, um, they've al- you know they always claim to do the civilizational work, um, and they use the figure of of youth and and young girls. Uh, oftentimes, in particular, um, and uh, as as a as a as a trope to um, um, to to structure the 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 argument for their civilizational um, the civilizational good that they're doing in those places in which mm-hmm. they're interfering or in, mm. in, occupying, right? Many
0: many people would understand how this campaign is is very uh, as. Carries something very problematic, but I suppose in front of it you would you would I- within this critic you would find people who would say, "Well, it's better than nothing,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and others who would say, "No, actually, it is worse than nothing." Mm-hmm. And so, that, I think that's what that's what's really at the core right. of the thing we want to talk about today.
1: Right. right. I mean, that's that's the ongoing um, argument that happens around so many uh you know like transnational feminist global feminist tussles right um uh it happens around you know those are those are the arguments that happen around um genital cutting those are the arguments that happen around um uh you know child marriage etc cetera, etc cetera. like um like well we have to say something and this is this is the the situation is so urgent that we you know we have to use what we have at hand and what ha- happens to be at hand are these imperial and colonial tropes about girlish innocence that need to then be rescued mm-hmm. right um, um, so that and and that that is an ongoing argument debate right the idea that the urgency of the situation is so urgent is, is so pressing that uh, we can't stop to think about um, um, the the pitfalls, which are often in, then deemed to be just like theoretical pitfalls, right, um, because we need practical action right now, and these are the most effective terms in which to follow up with. Um, um, these are the most effective terms that we have that uh, that will result in you know, practical consequences and actions that we'll rescue. And then we'll, we can talk about it later. Right. That's, I feel like that's often the kind of um, uh, the kind of uh, dichotomy that gets set up, right. That, that there's the, the, the urgency of the situation calls for practical action right now, which Uh, like I said, means that we have to use the most effective terms possible and then the other side is imagined to just be like, you know, wanting to sit around and and discuss language as if it were um, uh, uh, like the language of these campaigns or the language of these appeals. or the aesthetics of them, uh, but that's somehow slowing us down, and then we won't be able to like mm-hmm. address the urgency of the situation. But I actually think that's a very false dichotomy. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I suppose in, in that case, there was also uh, there was also the risk of a of a military intervention that yes. was that was very much at stake within yeah. those within this campaign that could have uh, uh, give uh, that could have back le- uh, that could have given legitimacy to their to this military potential military intervention I mean especially when we saw even like uh, Michelle Obama yeah uh, with her yeah. being part of this uh, being part of this campaign yeah um
1: which of uh, course which of course you know US US military is already in yeah all different yeah. parts of Africa fighting the quote unquote war on terror still
0: so, mm-hmm. so um and 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 uh and um I, th- I guess my my way of presenting things on the on the whether it was better than nothing or worse than mm-hmm. nothing was uh uh also uh being the de- the, the devil's mm-hmm. advocate yeah. to some degree because uh, oh, yeah believe it or not there's are now the way than just better than nothing or yeah. worse than nothing. There is, uh, there is doing something actually useful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we should, su- we should be satisfied neither with nothing, neither with, with things that we need to wonder. Right. Whether they're kind of better than nothing or kind of worse than nothing. Right. Uh, because
1: and, yeah, I mean like the, I, you know, because, you know, and I tell this to my students all the time is, but, you know, the way in which you describe a problem will actually have like the, the language and the aesthetics that you use to de- uh, to describe the politics of a particular kind of problem will have will absolutely affect the kind of solution that that results. Right. So if you if you describe the problem as being like, you know, these, you know has somebody needs to like somebody from the quote unquote international community needs to intervene. The the solution will then be the, you know, the imagined solution is that the U.S. will go in and, and somehow f- fix things. But of course, that's not actually what, you know, happens when the U.S. goes into places militarily. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Um, so so, you know, I definitely come down on the side of, like, actually the thinking about the language and aesthetics of how we talk about a particular problem, even in the moment of urgency is not slowing us down. It actually forces us to think more critically about um, what appears, you know, the the categories with which we're just using to describe what is happening, right, and, and how to fix it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think it does. And I... I think uh you see that just talking with you made me, makes me think more, so that's exactly what <laughs> I was hoping for. And and uh I can see as well I can associate as well this um, um this will for an intervention, uh, almost a divine intervention um uh to uh, uh save and we put quotes on save here. Uh uh um uh, this uh, this young woman, for example, mm-hmm. I, I can associate it with my own feeling uh, of sometime uh, despair or absolute feeling of powerlessness in front in front of. Uh, I mean, most recently, what's going on in Gaza, for example, as we're talking, the siege is still going on, and uh, we're reaching uh, uh, more than 800 Palestinians killed and 167 thousand uh, displaced. But w- we'll talk about Gaza uh, soon, but every time i experience this feeling of absolute power le- powerlessness the 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 thing that i force myself to th- to think about is that despair is a very privileged position meaning it's it's coming from the fact that we are used to get what we want mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if we don't get immediately what we want uh for some reason we feel hopeless mm-hmm. but uh um Obviously, things are more complex than that, so we, we, we need to continue <laughs> and to maybe be patient, which mm-hmm. is something that's uh, very difficult to reach sometimes. But uh, uh, anyway, let's go back to the, what you were just saying about the way you formulate problems, and, and maybe that's, that's the only task that we have as intellectuals, to, to formulate problems with the right terminology the right language so that uh, um, uh, the question would would be asked in such a way that there could be something uh, that can be done that can be done and um, maybe to bridge this conversation with another one I've been having uh, one with uh, Derek Gregory. About uh, the, the politics of, of, the, of uh, the American politics of their, the drone uh, intervention uh, in uh, several countries of, their, of the globe, um, uh, there's, um, there are some questions that think that they are criticizing. are uh, they are critiquing very actively uh, the drone strategy, but there are in fact uh, retroactively, retroactively legitimizing them. Uh, one, for example, is uh, should should the U.S. government be allowed to kill a U.S. citizen without mm-hmm. due trial? Well, that's a stupid question, because the real question is that should they be allowed to kill anyone? Mm-hmm. So uh, the very fact of, of pointing out one particular problem sometimes uh, uh, makes, makes room for all the rest to be legitimized uh, in such a way. Another thing that I've been looking at uh, recently um, um, was, uh, was this, uh, this uh, relatively strange outrage. I have to say against uh, against the what's been called the anti-homeless spikes that uh, have been set up uh, in many cities of the world, and uh, for some reason that were that seem to have been discovered very recently, when actually they've been at work for quite a while. But I mean, that's that's not even the problem. The the, the problem is that. Or, you know, sudden people were arguing that homeless should be, homeless people should be allowed to sleep anywhere in the street when the real problem is that they are actually sleeping mm-hmm. in the street. So I, I, I'm thinking of those examples mm-hmm. that are just one one way to formulate badly a problem. And I don't know, maybe you have other examples or uh, I'm, I'm already talking too much. <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 You're <laughs> totally not talking too much.
1: No, um, I mean, those are all good examples because they're the, of how... Um, of how when, the the ways in which you you describe a problem then me then has real effects for like what is the solution that you imagine right so if the if the problem is described as like well you know homeless persons should be allowed to unhoused people should be able to you know sleep wherever they want on the streets and then then and so then the solution is to get rid of the spikes rather than to Find ways to house them, right? So that that's absolutely relevant, or like the idea of like all the kinds of um, questions about, um, uh, you know, well, it, are are these ac- are these wartime actions legal or illegal according to these, you know, um, um, white papers written up by the Justice Department? Mm-hmm. Like that is completely besides the point, right? The point is like the fact that it could be. Something might be legal, doesn't mean that it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. But th- those are. But when 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 the problems are when problems about so, you know things like you know whether or not it should be legal for the United States to kill someone who is a U.S. citizen um, uh, without due process, um, then you define the problem as as a problem of the law rather than a problem of like whether like state violence, mm-hmm. right? And and how like. You know state violence is like the law absolutely produces violence right so um uh, 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 so going to the law as a as a as a as some kind of um, um protection against violence doesn't make any sense as a you know all it does is you know measure it and 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 mediate you know what kinds of state violence can happen but um but that doesn't mean that state violence. Isn't actually the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the measure of it, but the the fact that it happens. I don't. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think what sh- what we should come at as well is that uh, not only is those questions are uh, uh, besides the point, but they very actively participate uh, uh, to to what their what their things they're crit- they're critiquing. And I mean, we we maybe very much do so as well every now and then when mm-hmm. we're not very when we're not very uh, attentionate i mean it's uh, this conversation is not about finger pointing of any kind <laughs> like it's very much about us wondering uh what our positions can be but um uh, i suppose uh, yeah i suppose a way to 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 try to synthesize this point is to say that it's not enough to it's not enough to predict something you need to critique it with mm-hmm. a language that itself has been uh uh, dismantle to analyze everything mm-hmm. that has been uh, that that convey in it uh, part of uh, part of the logic that where it's coming from, and uh, maybe talking about language, we can we can now move to uh, uh, the, the current massacre of Gaza, on Gaza by the Israeli army, and uh, and see how uh, even. I mean we, we we see several things I mean we see we see the press that is uh, just fundamentally uh, uh, lying or disingenuous we see some others who uh, who uh, are are trying to uh, are very much uh, trying to convey a, 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 a symmetry a symmetrical uh, a situ- a situation between uh, between the people of Gaza and the Israeli army and and uh, and I mean we, it's, it's very very easy to, to realize how this symmetry corresponds to nothing in reality, but then we also have uh, we also have other discourses that do not want to be part of this symmetry um, uh, and that that fundamentally criticise uh, the action of the Israeli army, for example, the Israeli government or uh, or their or Current uh, racism that that's uh, been going on in the, within the Israeli society, uh, um, but because there is not this operation of dismantling the language, there is actually a perpetuation of this symmetry. I mean, talking about conflict between Palestine and Israel, for example, is very much a good example of, the, of it. Is that there? Every everything that 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 conveys this idea that there are two. Equal forces fighting against each other is is doomed to perpetuate this tactical. Um I'll I'll continue later I, I, along, along this idea, but I'm sure I'm sure you have plenty to say about that as well.
1: I mean, definitely, there's there there's a there's some fascinating rhetoric going around about how I mean, we were just talking yesterday uh, about like the newspaper headlines and um, how the New York Times um, uh, uh, had those four Palestinian boys who were killed on the beach, um, how they changed their headline to say that they found, they somehow found themselves in the middle of crossfire or something um, as if they weren't actually targeted, which of course they were. Um, 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 So... So yeah, the 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 language of the of the idea of the conflict, um, the idea that these are these are, uh, as you point out, symmetrical forces, is it just completely denies the fact of occupation, right? I mean, this is an occupation um, um, with completely asymmetrical, (laughs) in a completely structurally. Asymmetrical situation that that it it doesn't even make sense to you know it it doesn't seem to make sense to describe it as a conflict, um, um, but of course that's that's the that's the language that gets churned out uh, over and over again, mm. in, in, yeah for sure. Uh,
0: and and I think the, the, the New York Times itself is, is part of, the, of yeah. on actually uh, uh, the group of people who are very much. Working on the language, but uh, almost in the opposite way. I mean, the, right. the, yeah. the, the, the effort they put into, into trying to uh, de-responsibilize the Israeli army are, 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 are so extreme that uh, they, they almost reach a degree of humor. Uh, uh, what would be humor if it was not describing mm-hmm. absolutely uh, uh, horrifying events? And uh, and a, a website like uh, Africa as a country has been uh, has been uh, very well uh, playing with uh, this sort of uh, this sort of uh, uh, not laughable humor, so to speak. Um, so going even further into the subtlety of uh, a situation like the like the siege on Gaza. Um, um, because I think that I think that it's, uh, I mean, clearly something like the New York Times. But even if you if you go a little bit more on, on uh, in people who actually means to describe what's happening and who fail to do so with their rhetoric, I think I think many people can see that. But at a more at, a, at an even more subtle level, I think that um, there is something that brings us back completely to what you were describing at the very very beginning uh, is um, uh, who are we choosing for figures of innocence mm-hmm. and so I, I recently wrote this small article about about how we should um, uh, as counterintuitive as it may be we should not insist on how the Israeli army is uh, bombing and killing uh, uh, women and children and, um, and uh, Coupling, coupling this in, this indignation with uh, with an atrocious photograph of, of children uh, being uh, killed in the worst possible way, um, and this is this is highly counterintuitive, of course, but uh, the very fact of uh, of uh, of uh, picking uh, one. Figure of innocence is 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 actually without without wanting it. It's it's uh, it's uh, justifying almost the treatment that is done with all those other figures that are not of innocence. And in the case of Gaza, it's pretty simple. I mean, I, in the article, I, I make a difference between the the sense of uh, innocence in terms of innocence in terms of um, uh, at a judicial level, in which case. I don't think anyone in Gaza received received the proper trial before uh, being uh, uh, executed uh, by the bombs of their of their drones and F-16 of uh, the Israeli army. So the entire population is judicially innocent. And then going to the other meaning of the sense of innocence, uh, uh, there, the the idea, as we say, of a child that mm-hmm. he or she is innocent, and then. Uh, and, uh, reaching, reaching ad- teenagehood or adulthood uh, his or her parents would say oh well she's no longer innocent uh, uh, and 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 uh, I was trying to make the point that in Gaza no one is innocent because no one has the luxury of being innocent and, and when you're being born in a in an hospital that is very much dependent for its drugs or even of being or not being bombed uh, by this 30 army uh, then there's no innocence that can that can happen. So we should we should refrain from any figures of innocence in that in that particular case. And I think you have mm-hmm. many things to say about this very notion of innocence. So please take it from me.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it happened on your Facebook wall too, right? But um, it, like I'll, on my Facebook wall, I just see tons and tons and tons of pictures and references to all the children who've been killed in Gaza, mm-hmm. right? It's like like pictures of of you know you know little girls who are who are burned and screaming or little boys that are covered in blood and they you know their parents mourning them if, if not dead next to them and and um, so you know we have seen invoked over and over again a, um, uh, um, children as as particularly innocent figures and um, and it seems, uh, you know, again, you know, it it it's children are imagined to be sort of transparently. Uh, recognizable as as figures of innocence right but then what you know what kinds of things um, um, you know how does that happen like what disappears to make tr- that kind of transparency um, possible like what are the you know like um, who who falls out as as being then not not innocent right um, and 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 why what how are we how are we, how do we then value them uh, if at all um, so I, I I do have a lot of I, I have felt very uncomfortable with the sort of um, um, emphasis on the figure of the children being massacred in in Gaza because as you point out everyone in in Gaza who's being massacred um, is how you know the the men who are of you know fighting age for instance how come they're not imagined as as um, as innocent uh, whether or not they were you know a, Fighting, they, you know, that they're they're automatically chalked up to be militants because they're of fighting age, right? Which is what you know, uh, the Obama administration imagines when they hit people with. Uh, drones in Pakistan. That if, as long as you're uh, uh, a young, uh, man of a certain age, from like 15 to like 40 or 60 or something, you are a mil- you're classified as a militant, right? Um, and you have no access at all to to any kind of innocence, either legally or uh, a- ethically, right? Um, so, I mean, the so the, the so the figure of the the figure of the innocent child then sort of obscures the fact that. Then we are suggesting by we might be suggesting by default that there are people who um, are are you know as Foucault puts it you know resemble their crime before they even commit it right um, uh, in in writing about he in in his writing about criminal justice um, um, that uh, after a certain age then. Um, that child who was so innocent then comes to resemble the militant instead, whether or not they've actually been militant or been involved in any of those activities, right? Um, and so uh, Lisa Cacho in her book uh, Social Death uh, calls this um, uh, a status crime, who are people who, who, uh, you know, the gangbanger, the terrorist, the militant, the um, undocumented person are all uh, imagine to be guilty of uh, a status crimes. They're in their sort of in their ont- ontologically they're they're already guilty of, of, of being criminal, um, whether or not they've actually engaged in any kind of behavior at all. And so I think that's what um, uh, the sort of figure of innocent ma- innocence and its sort of our sort of emphasis on it and our circulation of that figure um, then obscures the fact that there are that 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 the sort of counterpart to the fig- the innocent figure is the person who is uh, guilty of a status crime for just being alive in in Gaza, mm-hmm. right, for instance, right?
0: Ye- yes, and uh, maybe to, to even uh, uh, continue on that, uh, I think we should even less... Um, uh, select uh, a part of the population like that, especially the children because uh, the Israeli army and the US army themselves are not doing so in the fact that um, uh, so not only they recognize every uh, 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 mostly male mm-hmm. uh, bodies are being uh, in the age of I- who are in age of, of being uh, 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 what was it, com- combatant? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Potentially, but when they when they conduct uh, what they call the, a targeted assassination, which once again makes us wonder what a non-targeted assassination is, but they're they're anticipating that the relatives of uh, the person assassinated, children included, might very well become combatant following mm-hmm. this assassination. And therefore they become target as well. So yeah. there is something incredibly twisted in uh, in the levels of self-accomplishing prophecies that uh, those two armies are able to, to think about in the fact that they're within their own rational they are uh, somehow agreeing that there would be a legitimacy for someone who's been killed by a drone, let's say, that their relative would be become so disparate despair uh, 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 because of this event that that this person would become a combatant i mean there we we're really reaching some some levels of twistedness that are uh, that are um, uh probably unprecedented because uh, i i don't think in the past armies needed to that much ideologically uh uh and discursively uh justify their their actions so we we're reaching we're reaching uh 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 Aware of the language becoming a, a weapon itself, that that's very very uh, uh, problematic, and I think that's that's exactly why we're talking about it today. And um,
1: oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, like the you know, I mean, you know, militarily, and in, and also in terms of just like you know the police profiling, um, you know, it, 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 you know, all all the intelligence. Writes about you know what what the likely causal background for a person to become a criminal or a terrorist is, and then they go and and create that causal background right by as you point out like killing everyone's family members. Yes. <laughs> so it is it is absolutely like um, so that the that the causal background that then they you know these kinds of intelligence reports or, or police profiles uh, identify as being. Um, um, uh, you know, s- structurally uh, uh, necessary, or, or or giving rise to this a structure, the very real possibility of then creating a, a, a someone who might commit criminal acts um, or terrorist acts. They it it's, it's it is absolutely self fulfilling. Like they, they identify the causal background and then they produce it, mm-hmm. right? And then it become and then it becomes a see, we told you so, kind of situation. Yeah. Right?
0: So it's, it's no longer bodies that uh, looks like the crime they haven't committed yet. It's uh, bodies that looks like the crime that they're going to be forced to commit. Uh, yeah. Later, bec- because we're going to provide the mm-hmm. conditions for it to happen mm-hmm. for this for this self self fulfilling prophecy. So m- maybe to uh, to conclude this uh, conversation, we we need to go back to. Uh, uh, to us and, and uh, what what is it that we should do or uh, uh, how is it that we should critique around around position again uh, within uh, all this um, all those discourses and, and the one that we are contributing to as well so uh, um, I, I tried to articulate that a little bit this morning in uh, writing an article about how uh, let's say careful we need to be as intellectuals because um, despite the fact that sometimes our political struggle and what we're what we're describing are combined pretty well with our own personal ambition, there's always a moment where where there's a choice that needs to be made between between our our own ambition and 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 their their or or their uh, that what we are fighting for, uh, and, uh, and I mean I was I was I was, I was uh, applying that to um, I, I was taking the very obvious example of this publisher who sent me a book uh, who sent who sent me an email yesterday uh, 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 promoting uh, its book, saying that it was it was currently become becoming historical because uh, it was about the the Torre David in Caracas that was being Evicted from its three thousand squatters that it, that have been living there for the last fifteen years, um, and so that's a very obvious example. But uh, that would be, I mean, the the entire goal of this assignment is to apply it to oneself. So, I mean, in that case, I was I, I i wrote all those articles about Gaza recently, and I could see that I was gaining readership, for example, based on that. So. The, the, it doesn't doesn't mean that it's bad but it means that the, it, uh, there is a very uh, precautionous attitude that needs to to be adopted in that case because there is a, there is direct uh, cause and effect relationship between uh the description of the horror that of what is going on in Gaza right now, with with somehow a sort of a sort of editorial success or something like that. So, um, so I don't know. Would would you would you help me with that? In, <laughs> in how we should we should manage to situate ourselves as intellectual?
1: Um, well, you know, this is this is. I mean, this is related to a project that I, I'm. I'm actually working on, um, that has nothing to do with, um, uh, state violence <laughs> necessarily, but, um, it's definitely informed by my work in thinking about state violence. So one of the things I've been, I've, I've been, uh, trying to deal with is, um, um, uh, uh the question of what it, what it means to have things like, uh, that I, things that I'm calling like minor objects, um, um uh, which are those kind of like marginal forms or persons or worlds that are uh, often sort of mobilized in in in, in, in narratives about uh, to designate a sort of moment of crisis right so like a minor object might be for instance the refugee figure might be a minor object um, and designating a moment of crisis that bring uh, that you know um, uh, uh, that you um, can lay bare the kinds of contingent quality of of citizenship or 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 you know the this of state state violence um, or you know uh, liberal empire, um, 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 but then what happens when uh, the minor object then becomes um, institutionalized as an object of knowledge, right? So. So that that's one of the things I, I really struggled with when I was writing the first book about the gift of freedom and like the idea of the figure of the refugee and how I often ran into um, people who really wanted me to articulate the figure of the refugee as an as an outside figure who would necessarily then be able to um, you know stand for a, a, an entire critique of U.S. empire and for me it, it I was just like this just it actually doesn't work that way um, um, I, I, I don't think I can I, I don't think I want to you know create this um, this 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 figure of resistance that would then Track neatly into this into this critique because I think it's actually more complicated than that. So, but I but I found that you know figures of resistance, minor objects are often really um, you know, I mean, yeah, they circulated as certain kinds of academic capital. I think mm-hmm. I don't know if that sounds horrible or not, but
0: well, it, it does. But yeah. just for precisely. Yeah, we are. yeah,
1: yeah. So. So, you know, and and I find that happening to me as somebody who, you know, so uh, as, uh, you know, I I grew up um, as a punk kid, uh, and I've been making zines for a really long time, since like 1991, um, and then my zines have been institutionalized in particular ways, um, and then I often get asked because I am an academic um, to then comment on my own zines or to comment on... um, uh, you know, uh, to, to write about punk as an object of study or my zines as, as minor objects that can tell us something about, you know, you know, youth cultures, or whatever, or, or, you know, uh, resistance. Um, and I have a real, I, I, I feel resistant to that. I feel resistant to the, uh, to the kind of institutionalization of minor objects, uh, that are, that, uh, that that stand in for resistance or ambivalence or um, um, are are made to stand in for uh, ambivalence and and and, and resistance um, because I often feel like they're uh, while while a minor object could dis- can d- often do dis- they often do describe the sort of limits of a structure or a practice uh, and can be met with clear violence they can also be recruited to manage or overcome that crisis right so for instance a refugee figure in the gift of freedom um, through acts like recognition and inclusion and I, I, I you know I, I feel like some of the things that you've been talking about are like the idea of how this minor object uh, this this moment of resistance this squat these people who were squatters who are now being evicted and then are captured in this book that is now a historical document and a rare commodity, Um, uh, uh, just sort of demonstrates the the dangers of, of the sort of institutionalization of a minor object to stand in for a constitutive outside that nonetheless gets called upon to then provide a complete picture or provide some kind of ideal presence for something that was imagined to be missing but Without actually ever getting to be present, does mm-hmm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, and, and I think in that in the case of this book, uh, there there is an absolute interest for this book that mm-hmm. uh, the people that it took for object as minor mm-hmm. object to use your own terminology uh, to to make this entire book happen. There is a, there is an absolute interest. Uh, for this book, for those people to be evicted, mm-hmm. because in that case the book completely changed of status. Right, and it, it becomes, becomes it becomes even more rare. Yeah,
1: right.
0: It becomes a so- I mean, we can see that with uh, yep. that, that the exact same thing with the uh, Kowloon world City in uh, in Hong Kong mm-hmm. that got destroyed in 1993. Uh, now we have to turn to books to actually uh, research about it, mm-hmm. rather than just going there and and being embedded within mm-hmm. them. So we we are. Uh, 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 tributary to of of the way it has been described by one or more, but in that case one uh, one book. So I think it's uh, it's important to see that um, you don't need to intervene to have interest in the mm-hmm. story. So you you that, that's where we ha- really have to be careful because yeah. it doesn't doesn't take us to uh, to to be part of uh, to be part of the, the military intervention uh, to, right. to to be to be to be actually complicit with it
1: right cause so many of our impulses for repair or recovery or rehabilitation are also occasions for control and interference and accumulation so mm-hmm. I mean and, and, and that definitely applies to us as as, as, as intellectuals right I mean we, we do get and accumulate social and cultural capital mm-hmm. by way of proximity to our minor objects so often so, mm.
0: and as as a, I, don't, I don't know if you will uh, agree with this conclusion or not, but uh, we were a little bit talking about it yesterday. I, I, as naive as it sounds, I, I, I feel that uh, kindness is something we can always turn to mm-hmm. as a as a good uh, as a good intuitive tool almost, uh, and uh, and uh, maybe kindness is uh, under understated uh, in certain milieu.
1: I, I definitely think that, um, you know, admitting to our own imperfectibi- imperfectibility and not imagining that we are, you know, somehow uh, capable of, you know, perfectible knowledge, um, uh, and it, it goes a long way towards um, getting us to a place of being um, humble enough to To be kind and compassionate about what you know, we don't know, but then also what other people don't know, and mm-hmm. being like,
0: you know yeah. Alright, well we That's s- my
1: that's my wussy ending yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: Thank you very much for thank me Thank you! It's, uh, it's always great to know that I can turn to you when the time <laughs> goes dark, as, <laughs> the, as, they do, as they do now, I mean, I think many of us have really trouble even reading the news, something as as a Daily as uh, as it is right now, so uh, hopefully this conversation will have been uh, useful to more than me. But even if it's just me, well, I'm happy <laughs> <that I did. laughs> thank you. Thank
1: you.